see everything the movie podcast where we review rank and riff on every single film in the criterion collection i'm anthony and this is donald trump's head speechwriter sean oh shit uh sorry before we get started just i'm finishing up a work thing do you know any synonyms for china Okay, well, on today's episode of I'll Always See Everything, we're covering uh, four movies that weirdly overlap a little bit, but are mostly just chosen out of a hat. We got Hitchcock's The 39 Steps. We got the one that isn't Hitchcock, which is Charade, Stanley Donan's Charade. Uh, after that, we have my pick this week, which is The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, and Sean's pick this week, which, which is uh, The Curious is... Case of John Malkovich. Exactly. Being Benjamin Button and the curious case of John Malkovich. That uh, works. Yeah. That, whoa, actually, those both work. It's actually... I think actually both of those titles are way are better. better. They should those just are... switch them around. <laughs> I don't know if they're better, but they are more informative. <laughs> Sean, uh, honestly, I think it's closer to the right tone for both of those movies, too. Like, the curious case of John Malkovich is like, oh, yeah, that's because it's a wacky little comedy. Uh, being... Uh, Benjamin Button is just as pretentious as it should be. That is what that movie is about. It's about being Benjamin Button. You certainly can't take that away from it. What do this you think? This is something. I don't yeah. know. I, I, I actually enjoyed myself, I would say. Yeah. I was I had... not insanely excited about this week. So mm. I picked being John Malkovich is something that was just kicking around on my watch list. I thought, okay, I may as well have some fucking bright spot in this. Sure. In this screwball Hitchcock and boring movie, I don't want to oh watch. Oh my gosh! Triple Team. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, I enjoyed myself thoroughly. I think, even though we'll get to the rankings and everything, but with I didn't love all except for one of these movies. I didn't really love. I didn't think that they ranked really high, but they're all very watchable. And uh, I I had a great time. This is one of the very light mo- uh, weeks for me because I had seen every one of these movies except for the 39 steps, mm-hmm. which we can talk about. I would love to actually talk about the 39 steps with you. What <laughs> would you what really? Concept? What's step one? Uh, uh, go to a theater where a, a man remembers at you. That's pretty good. Sounds like a fun evening. Sounds yeah, like a sounds great, great act. And it was. A heart racing spy story by Alfred Hitchcock. The 39 Steps follows Richard Hannay, Robert Don- Donet, as he stumbles upon a conspiracy that thrusts him into a hectic chase across the Scottish moors, a chase in which he is both the pursuer and the pursued, as well as into an unexpected romance with the cool Pamela, Madeline Carroll. Adapted from a novel by John Buchan, this classic wrong man thriller from the master of suspense anticipates the director's most famous works, especially North by Northwest and remains one of his cleverest and most entertaining films. I feel like that little parentheses, especially North by Northwest is borderline unprofessional. 
Yeah, it's um the director's most anticipates the director's most famous works and then like some kid comes like the kid from Polar Express comes out and goes especially north by northwest and you're like yeah we got it dude yeah it's a shittier version of that i imagine i haven't seen north by northwest i'm not a I big fan of it i also didn't hate this one that much you're not a big fan of it i'm not a big fan of north by northwest uh it's one of my least favorite of the well-known hitchcocks and I, I think that, of course, the plane scene is amazing, but uh, it's kind of all that's there. So, uh, I, If you told me that North by Northwest was a short film where a guy gets chased by a plane, <laughs> I would be like, well, that, I mean, I, I don't feel like that's true, but I have zero information to contradict you. <laughs> the only thing anybody knows about it. North by Northwest like, is actually a Pixar film. It's the planes, fire and rescue. Is it? It's based Wait, on, on North by Northwest. No. <laughs> oh, wow. Shit, yeah, be cool. Uh, but I, I think that we've come to find, especially you, who likes Alfred Hitchcock. I mean, I Psycho didn't hit as much for me. I mm-hmm. mean, Vertigo. I haven't seen Psycho. Vertigo okay. didn't hit for me as much as it apparently does for everyone else. Like, this yeah. the fucking British fucking film whatever guys it's like their best movie forever uh-huh the bfi the afi the top 10 yeah, yeah. the big fucking idiots there we go Man, <laughs> wow sorry you are, yeah. we are I low have, energy today come on i Sean, have not your step. water today i am dehydrated today and oh, everybody gosh. else is gonna suffer for it but yeah they they like that they let that movies one of the big ones yeah rear i'm not window. a big rear window i really like Rear Window, I think, is one of the greatest movies ever made. I think Psycho is also in that conversation. I think that Vertigo is very good. I think that Vertigo is like a great film, and I am—I'll have to rewatch it because I haven't watched it in many years. But I think Vertigo is not on the same level as those others two, and I'm surprised that it's the one that people are like, "Oh yes, the three great Hitchcocks: Rear Window, Psycho, and Vertigo." I'm like, that's a little bit of a stretch there don't you think to to really fit vertigo in there when i think about those though the good hitchcock movies or at least the classic ones that people very consistently reference i think of them as even if i don't immediately connect with them they all have some level of innovation and consistence like mastery like we talk about a lot in in their filming techniques like okay there's there's something that I feel like I can dig into with all of these. Like they are very consistently shot in a way that exciting or unexpected. Like any given scene is is done in a way that I think has some edge, has some tension to it. That I just don't really see in these lesser Hitchcocks that we've been watching. But yeah, I, I don't know. Do you? To what I extent ag- do you agree as someone who would know better? I agree. I, I so this is what I'll say. I think that these uh, these movies that we've watched so far, we got The Lady Vanishes, we got The Man Who Knew Too Much, and we have The 39 Steps. This is the best of those three, and it still sure. isn't even close to like the level of Hitchcock we know he can get to. You know, it's not his it's not one of his great films. It's really nice, but what I will say is I I do see that Hitchcock in there. He's just so buried under like dumb plots and silliness and and uh, uh 
I don't know, lack of character. He needs charismatic actors at his center, and none of his uh, film, th- these films so far, have had any of them except for Peter Lorre. Yeah, I would basically agree. We've got. Was this the same guy as, uh, oh fuck, what was the first movie of his we watched? Lady Vanishes. This wasn't the same main guy, was it? Oh, I have no idea. Robert. I feel like. Donut. So is it Donut? Because I don't want to say Donut because that's my first uh, impulse. Robert uh, Donut. Robert. Robert Donut. There we go. Yep. That's what it is. Hey, I don't give a shit. <laughs> There's a thousand some... years old, probably dead by now. He's. Think uh, I care? He's certainly dead. Um, he died in 1958. Oh my goodness. And uh, he is not the same guy from the lady vanishes jesus christ were they just producing them in a factory (laughs) i mean really it's the assembly they should have started this movie with like an assembly line like god of war style where it's just like them (laughs) making this guy along with a ton of other guys like exactly like (laughs) wait did that happen in god of war was kratos working in the factory was he a spartan laborer lord of war lord of war dang it you got it yeah where they're making the bullets yeah, but they should have started with just making a British guy. And like, and like the last <laughs> shot in like the last shot in Lord of War is the bullet going into the kid's head. And this right. one, it's like the bow tie getting strapped onto a guy who's about to like sexually harass a woman. At the oh time. my gosh! Jeez, so it keeps happening. These guys, I <laughs> don't know you, how to make these guys likable. If you can't tell, we're not like huge fans of this movie i actually enjoyed myself i will say i 100 percent like finished watching it and i was like that was a really good watch for the one time i saw it i think that hitchcock doesn't demonstrate the best of his abilities here and i think that uh in general he doesn't know how to use spies what like what does he think he's doing um but you know you can see some moments of brilliance here especially he shoots the the Scottish country the Scottish Moors with just such beauty like an eye for beauty and perfection that I think is unmatched. I you know we talk a lot about older movies that are like um you know they're setting pieces they're trying to show you locations that you could never see if you didn't go to the movies. Whereas now you can just pull up like a hotel commercial on your phone and you're you're, you're set. You can see you know everywhere in the world whenever you want. But these movies the magic of AI. <laughs> oh now you gosh. can say. You know, do I want to see Britain now? Okay, go to the fucking mid-journey, whatever. Uh, America, but wetter. And kind of shittier for different reasons. Just as shitty for different reasons. Put that in and plus Queen. Put all that in and you can see Britain right now. Final. (laughs) Final. I think that... uh... In general, Hitchcock's earlier work has just been kind of uh, saddening. And the one thing I could latch onto with this is just, it's so beautiful. I mean, he also gets some great indoor shots. He's able to, the man on the street stuff is good. The stuff where he's out in the uh, Scottish countryside is, of course, the best. Even the crowd shots in like a a beautiful theater, really well-constructed stuff. Uh, His direction is almost... like a uh, Kurosawa like where he's got those like uh, shots that go on for a little bit longer and change blocking in the middle of uh, the, the scene, especially I'm thinking of the ending shot where the uh, Mr. M- Mr. Memory dies and uh, they hold hands at the end. And uh, you know, it's done in like this medium that becomes a close up. It's, 
you know, it's pretty good. There's some cool stuff, but most of the time I was just like, okay, when are they going to, when are they going to catch up to him? You know? Yeah. Can we, I briefly want to acknowledge Mr. Memory because Mm, the best character, he is the best character, but I feel like he's very indicative of like what, here's the thing. If I'm comparing it to Psycho, which I haven't seen, but I know everything about because it's just one of those movies. Sure. And like Rear Window and and Vertigo is that I think that the scripts and the stories were. They they had the right balance of like complexity while Mm. not, you know, being convoluted. It it like this is the kind of movie 39 steps. I mean, that feels like a serial in the yes. sense of like, oh, you know, high adventure and intrigue and, you know, what's happening here, here and here. But it gets kind of goofy. Like Rear Window, such a simple concept, but all the tension comes from that simplicity. But here, like you mentioned it before, Hitchcock, I don't think is like very suited to spy stories because he doesn't seem to know what, what spies, spies are, are. or what's spy, interesting about them a spy is either a hot girl or a weird old guy who tugs your arm when you're out in public pulls you aside says i've got a secret to tell you tells you a secret and then dies and then you have to <laughs> clean up their dirty work like that's it's and like the the mr memory thing is also a big like indicator of that because at the end the like the clever way that our protagonist like brings everything to an end is to exploit like the loophole in because Mr. Memory is like a an elf or something or a djinn that mm. has like a compulsion to remember something if you yell at it if you yell at him to remember it despite the fact that he's being held at gunpoint like I don't it's a weird uh, he's a uh, it's one of those things where you just have to take it at base value and be like there we got to move on i think that there's part of this is that it's just this is an older film and because of that there's two things that are that are obviously apparent here one is there movies of this age can add a little bit of mysticism to them without the audience questioning it i wonder if uh, likely because they lived in a less reasonable time. Of course, you we've all been to the circus and seen that one guy who can do that thing. He can actually do that thing. No, really, he can actually do that thing. You know what I mean? He sure. can actually f- fly on... Suck his own dick. <laughs> yeah, that's one of those 30s uh, classic circus archetypes. Um, the two-headed lady, the man with a beard, and the guy who can suck his <laughs> own dick. The man man with the beard. (laughs) I was, I don't know. I couldn't think of something. Two-headed lady would actually be pretty good, too. The man with the beard. I would be be a great circus impresario. That would be my roster. Those would be my three main acts. He just got like, what, what is it? Like skillet or whatever? Just sitting there being like, hey. Skillet? The men with the beard. Which one is the one where they're like all they've all got beards? It's Skillet, right? Oh, the band Skillet. That yeah. is that is the most homeschooled <laughs> reference you've made yet. No, wait, no, this is not the right band. Who are the guys who are in ZZ Top? 
ZZ Top. Why am I you, messing you that up? You fucking conflated ZZ Top <laughs> and Skillet? Cut this all out. Cut this all out. No. No. Absolutely fucking For some not. reason, I had it in my mind that they were like, I don't, they had to... I don't know. They had two letters in their name, and so that were the same. And so I was like, "Oh yeah, skillet. That makes sense. It makes a lot of sense." This is all <laughs> no skillet is the most yeah. is definitely the most homeschooled reference of all time, though. Well, one of the most homeschooled bands. So, um, do you have anything else to say <laughs> about the Thirty Nine Steps? Uh, just I. I think it is also interesting to say that our perception of a spy comes in a post-Cold War perception of a spy. We got your James Bonds. We got your uh, – everything that's going on in the Cold War is very much like – I was trying to think of a second example, right? But um, I mean that's the big one. Right. It's the this guy who's like, oh, there are secrets going on that I have to like trade in or whatever. And there's this suave, there's the Spies idea to them. They're really cool. Yeah, exactly. And that's, for, that's not very the lead here. Right. That's whereas a, yeah. these guys are more like, you know, genies, more like mystical figures. They're like, oh, you could stumble on a person. And he t- turns to you and goes, it turns out I'm a spy. And you're like, ah! And they're like, I will grant you three wishes. But in this case, it's like, I will give you the information you need for the rest of the movie to continue. You know? Except it's not the information you need. It's, here's a job for you. It's not yeah. paid, and you know, <laughs> And you're probably gonna get killed not. for it. Yeah, exactly. But you know, the but things you know, that we do for our country. There is a good version of uh, this kind of spy movie. It's called Charade. Ooh, tell me about it. I'm not familiar. Well, uh... No, I'm just playing. I watched it. I also have the description. You're gonna have to read the description. Oh, in this comedic thriller, a trio of crooks relentlessly pursue a young American, played by Audrey Hepburn and Gorgeous Cavinci, through Paris in an attempt to recover the fortune her dead husband stole the only person she can trust is Carrie Grant's suave, mysterious stranger. Directly, Stanley Doman goes deliciously dark for charade, the glittering emblem of 60s style and macabre wit. I wouldn't call it super macabre. I don't know. What do you think? It's This movie is like silly. It but is. not in it... a way where it doesn't have an edge. It's mm-hmm. I, I don't know if I would say like, oh, it's thrilling, it's edge of my seat, whatever, but it's consistently compelling. In a way that I was surprised by. I would, I mean, I would call it, I would call it thrilling for sure. I don't know. Well, I don't mean to disparage it by saying that. It's just, I'm not necessarily like, oh no, is, is everything going to be all right? Is she going to survive? You know, whatever. It's not, it's more like, this is an entertaining movie where I like the characters. And Mm -hmm. it's more so for me about, let's see how this develops. Let's see how the dialogue, you know, let's see how these characters play off of each other. Let's see the the entertaining interplay of these relationships um, through this this cast that I have some affection for, rather than being like, I don't know. When I, when I think thrilling, I think like the game, you know, like there's something at stake here that I feel very deeply like these. Right. You know, is Michael Douglas fucked? Is the game going to get him? Right, right. That's that's the kind of questions I was asking myself <laughs> during the game. Is the game going to get him? Is the game going to get him? And no, every time I, something bad happened, I, I slapped my hands to my face like Home Alone. I was like, the game done going to get him. <laughs> like Home Alone. Like Home yeah. Alone. Not like 
like Kevin McAllister, like Mr. Home Alone himself. Like Macaulay Home Alone. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I find this very thrilling in sort of an, I mean, in an old-fashioned kind of way. I like the intrigue. I like not knowing, I mean, I, I knew what this was or whatever, but I like the intrigue of not knowing about, like, who this guy is and what, what's his deal or whatever. This is actually really interesting because I have not seen this movie in years, but... There's an interesting connection here. Sean, you and I both this week saw the IMAX re-release of Stop Making Sense. Yes. Really good. Like, we both love it. You know, David Byrne, a director slash actor slash musician. We've an artist we've covered on this podcast before. Mm -hmm. The True Stories episode. Uh, I would have an uh, that We covered that on the Solo episode, which we called what we call the greatest episode of all time yeah oh yeah that's i think we covered it on that episode um really good so uh you can check that out but you know we both really enjoy stop making sense part of what's so good about stop making sense is it's directed by jonathan demi who also directed science of the lambs which you can uh check out on our other episode that i didn't look up the name of Um, i hope that the only point is to plug the episodes yeah that was it finding a connection (laughs) through that to every and if you want to hear us talk about uh david burns who made (laughs) spider-man who and spider-man great power comes great responsibility and that uh that's like stop making sense it's a lot of responsibility that's what the movie's it's a lot of responsibility (laughs) to watch stop making sense you have to sit there fingers tented taking it in being very (laughs) responsible Jonathan Demme, who also directed Science of the Lambs, as well as directed a movie that is awful. One of the just peaks of, you know, overstuffed, you know, someone thought this was a good idea kind of movie making called The Truth About Charlie that is a remake of Charade in a French New Wave style starring dandy newton and mark Wahlberg, that is that movie and that sounds so bad it is terrible it is awful a lot of people like stand up for it those people are wrong there is an agnes varda cameo that really rules where some guys like really disoriented like running around like oh no are they gonna get me and like runs into a homeless woman and you're like is that agnes varda and then like he runs around and then you google it and you're like oh that was agnes varda crazy <laughs> i like that i like I mean, the sound of that like, casting i mean that's the thing we'll get to it with being john malkovich but anytime that someone famous has a cameo in a movie they have to make themselves out to be like a piece of shit or like destitute or weird or like if they try and make themselves out to be cool then they suck it's what yeah exactly and so uh that's kind of why well i was gonna bring it back is saying that this is a complicated story to a certain extent there's a lot of i mean it's very simple there's woman she has money and these three guys are trying to get it and maybe there's a fourth guy who also wants to try to get it and we don't know what his deal is but there's a lot of like pulling the rug out from under you there's a lot of uh bits that just don't exactly uh that, you, that you're not quite sure who to trust or what red their herrings. motivation is a lot of red herrings yes exactly i and the truth about charlie taught me having having watched that not too long ago that uh it's really difficult to pull that off and you need really charismatic actors to do that 
Cary Grant and Audrey Hepburn are completely up to the task and are able to deliver their, you know, old, uh, old school kind of uh, poppy, zazzy dialogue, <laughs> ZZ Top dialogue. Their ZZ Top style dialogue. Yep, exactly. Cary hey, <laughs> Grant, you can call him a sharp dressed man in this. Yeah, I don't know anything about ZZ Top except they that have a song called Sharp Dressed Man, and that's realistically as cool. far as that reference goes. That, that, I mean, that was certainly all I needed to know to understand that. Um, so because of that, I, I really respect this movie for being able to, uh, balance all of that with genuinely likable characters and awesome dialogue. And I mean, it's just a better version of the Hitchcock movies we've been watching up to this point, you know? Yeah. There's a few differences because I know you were curious how I would feel about it because this isn't the type of thing that I typically go for. Oh, for sure. But, I could barely picture you watching this movie, let alone being surprised that you that you like this movie. Well, here's the main difference, I think, is, I mean, the dialogue, it has that, not screwball, but like that kind of old Hollywood banter style that I have disliked in times past. But it's partially a matter of the charisma of the lead actors. That's, mm-hmm. I mean, that's obviously a big part here. But right. it's it's also just for me that it it's not sacrificing the characterization in order to retain like a consistent comedic voice. Like mm. you know, it's not every character. Not every character is has the same has the same tone as communicating in the writer's voice in order to be smart and witty and sharp and everything. It's, right. It's it's. Okay, the, we have these characters who have their established personalities, and their actors are conveying those well, and the character, like, the, the humor is going to be based on that consistent characterization. Like, Audrey Hepburn is, like, kind of, not ditzy exactly, but, like, she, she makes the decision to consistently trust Cary Grant and then get mad at him and then trust him again and it's like okay that's that's not the best decision but it's no. like it, you get it where it's like because endearing yeah you because, get how hot Cary Grant is and you get how endearing exactly Audrey Hepburn is you don't fault her for continuing to go back to him because she is i mean she's magnetic this is maybe her best performance i feel like there are some guys with like like trad guys on Twitter with trad, fucking, not familiar. You know, you know, like traditionally, like they want like a wife who makes them dinner. Got like it. The, like roller backpack guys. You know, there sure. was a guy who I had a class with in college who had a Cary Grant profile picture that I'm thinking of here, who always oh. wore bow ties and like really liked Ben Shapiro. Got it. And that's the kind of guy like that. Th- that kind of guy is what I'm saying. Like who maybe likes Audrey Hepburn a little too much. Who would contest you for saying? But I'm right. not that type of guy. I um, uh, I have seen plenty of Audrey Hepburn movies. I like her in Sabrina. I like her in Bre- Breakfast at Tiffany. I like her all the big ones. Roman Holiday. But this is she's ha- trying to sell a little bit more complexity than she usually has to. She has to sell, you know, coming back to this guy over and over again, being unhappy in her marriage, but not murderously so. She's not unlikable for being unhappy in her marriage, which could be very easy to do, especially for those uh, what you called trad guys. I also I, wait a second. You're, you're telling me these guys have roller backpacks? 
I yeah. I had a roller backpack in college, Sean. I have bad news. <laughs> I have bad news. <laughs> you went to college with me. You saw my roller backpack. <laughs> I don't think I did. If I did, I didn't notice. Dang. I was probably looking at my telephone. Oh. Watching well, videos. it's those darn phones. If you just got off your phone and yeah, paid I attention, look around at the loser you were. <laughs> I was just trying to go into a whole bit about me being like traditionalist, but you know what? Never mind. It's fine. I don't need that sound bite out, out in the world. Yeah. No, you certainly don't. You're on thin ice already as it is with the damn woke mob. Genuinely, I just think that it the, so much of this is sold on. You know what? I'm good. This is a great movie. It's well directed. It's really well paced. The the acting is awesome. The characters are endearing. It's well written and well directed. But I'm still gonna give Audrey Hepburn the Trent coin this week. Here's the sound effect. That's that's the sound effect. That was the sound effect that just played. Yep. Mm-hmm. I don't think you need to keep saying that because at this point there is a sound effect. Or is yeah. it there? I don't know. No, no, no. The sound effect is actually going to happen right now while I'm talking. So I really think that Audrey Hepburn carries this movie because if you did not have a likable protagonist at the center who was able to sell you on the dumb, stinking decisions she consistently makes throughout the movie to trust every person she sees, uh, and all, but also really genuinely felt her fear, then this would be, uh, this would be a mess, you know? Is this the first movie that we've covered that has two capital M movie stars? Oh, I'm sure that's in? not true, but I, I, I don't mean, know. I can't really think of one that's like two huge names playing against each other like this, like American Hollywood movie stars. I mean, you know, oh, not necessarily just like really great right. respected actors, right? Because the of course uh, you you fault me for this all the time, but the first thing that I think of when I think of great actors we've covered is Silence of the Lambs. But even that, like that, kind of puts you know Anthony Hopkins is you know on the right. They're they're well respected. But you're talking they're both movie character star. actors. Yeah, sh- uh, I wouldn't even go that far. Mo- character actors to me are more your John Goodmans, your Steve Buscemi's. You're you're they've got a bit. They kind of do it, and and they're they're not usually the leads or whatever. I think those are like prestigious actors. I'm thinking your John Malkovich's, for example. Right. Oh, you know what? The Michael Bay movies. Oh, Those right. Have movie stars. Oh, for sure. But like 100%. old Hollywood movie stars. I mean, that's that's kind of the difference, I guess, is like, I, I think a lot of old Hollywood big movie, big build movie stars like that would have them as ne- like necessarily the romantic right. leads. Uncut whereas... Gems has Adam Sandler and Furby. So, you know, that's old true. Hollywood stars. And the weird Furby. I hear the weird Furby has been seen with Doja Cat, actually. Mm. Apparently, I th- there's you think they're gonna? Going there's something going on there. Yeah, they say that they're just friends, but I, which is like kind of He's... fucked up because I like I have a pretty close relationship with Doja Cat. And I haven't <laughs> heard anything about it. Hard, hard to trust those shifty eyes he's got, you know. Yeah, I thought you were going to say something about Doja Cat's ethnicity, whatever it is. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, I wasn't. <laughs> Cut that Thank out. God. No, don't cut Dead that out. R- Dead Ringers has Jeremy Irons and Jeremy Irons. Jeremy Irons and Jeremy Steele. 
Ooh, wait, that was a <laughs> they're, they're twin brothers, but only oh. their last names are different for some reason. If you're talking old Hollywood, I think you're right. I've looked through as much of these as I can stand, and I think that you're right. The one the one movie I would think of is sort of more up-and-coming. Well, you also have My Own Private Idaho, which has River Phoenix and Keanu Reeves in it. You know, they're like these up-and-coming stars, but, you know, you're talking old Hollywood stars. But, you know, Keanu Reeves, a good actor. Well, he certainly fits the category that we're talking about, whatever else you can say about him. And I, we, we've gotten a little bit off topic here, but all this is to say that, I mean, Audrey Hepburn, we've, we've given most of the praise to, but Cary Grant is, he's, he's riding that line, like we always talk about with him, of kind of doofy. Mm-hmm. It, it, like comedic and not necessarily in the way that the rock is always comedic right right, right. Be like did you seriously just say that right now and that's like the joke that he does when someone no. else does something weird like right. Cary grant will like fall completely over and get spanked on his ass for 30 minutes he'll run yeah. into a closed door he'll accidentally suck his own dick he'll go <laughs> cross-eyed someone small will famous... run in between his legs and he'll try to reach between them and he'll fall over like he'll get his ass kicked he I'm... just he doesn't and he he maintains dignity somehow through it this all. is the first because sean you got to be careful this is the first time we've covered Cary grant on this podcast because uh are you sure is there not a, another one there's another one that's uh coming up hint hint wink wink maybe a little spooky season episode well, ever since up. the time travel episode everything has been <laughs> fucked up with the time stream and we need to put it back <laughs> you mean our That's second, now the overarching storyline of this second episode called the 90s time traveler yeah ever yeah, since ever that since then you know we all went downhill no, didn't we do another one with Stalker and Time Bandit? Oh, right. Yeah, that's yeah. true. We we really like time travel on the show. We do. Enough to do two episodes <laughs> about it. Well, an episode and one joke. <laughs> Speaking of time travel. No, we're not going to move on to the next set. Finish what you were saying, but Cary Grant is very good in this movie. You're right, and he, he nails sort of... Uh, an over-the-top ridiculous tone that isn't often seen um in like post-60s hollywood even by this you know by this point this would have been seen as kind of an old-fashioned movie i would guess it's got sort of a james bondy type thing going on that that kind of works for it where it's got like these beautiful locations even if sometimes they're you know rear projected it's got these beautiful locations it's got this um you know extravagant setup and it's like oh who is this guy it's got what every it, this movie begins as all good movies should with which is a Saul Bass style introduction where like the arrows are going everywhere and you know the the you know the opening title sequence that just you know sets the tone for how you know wacky this adventure is going to be um and you know by by this point that kind of screwball energy was a little old fashioned, but by adding this sort of layer of the the more modern at, by this point, or the, the, in this era take on spies and uh, you know, who's, who's doing what and uh, suspense um, into the mix. Uh, I think it gives it new life. And uh, I think this movie rules. I think it's one of the best we've ever covered. <laughs> I definitely wouldn't go that far, but it, it's a different type of movie than what I would like really, really go crazy for. I don't know. Mm-hmm. To me, like the kind of 
tight, entertaining, yeah, like we keep saying it, but old Hollywood style, fun, appealing, character-based movie. Like, there's a ceiling to how good that gets for me. Um, And that is like, you know, 7 to 8 out of 10. Maybe I'm underrating it a little bit. You, if you it sounds are, at all appealing okay. to you, then, and not, you know, if this you're not type someone of thing, like me. Yeah, yeah, this type of thing. You're not like me, where I'm like, shit, I don't want to watch this. <laughs> then, then you know, you'll still give it a shot, but, you know, if you're an Anthony type, if you have the Anthony Braino type, which I think is like phenotype, genotype, brainotype, then you'll oh, probably get something it. out of it. I don't know. Yeah, that was an innovative new addition to the photype uh the photype community is dying i want right. to give it a shot in the arm right right okay so it's a beautifully shot movie it's well edited well executed it just rules i don't have a lot to, i think that's it i think we should just shut up it's the best uh it's it's a howard hoxie uh it's directed by the guy who did uh singing in the rain stanley donan but it's all but it's got very howard hawksy hitchcocky uh, james bondy type feeling to it and uh it's a great romp just stellar um yeah and i think we get to move on to our time travel is a stretch but our our time mover through her uh mr benjamin button my take this week well he moves through time i mean he he moves through the same time just like kind of backward and not really backward he just looks weird at different points maybe you can clarify it for me by reading the description you could almost say i was born under unusual circumstances Thus begins the curious case of Benjamin Button, the Academy Award-winning film starring Brad Pitt as a man who is born in his 80s and ages backward, and Kate Blanchett as the woman he is destined to love forever. The curious case of Benjamin Button is a monumental journey, as unusual as it is epic. That follows Benjamin's remarkable adventure of romance and redemption from the end of World War I through the 21st century. Directed by David Fincher, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button is a powerful testament to life and death, love and loss. All right, I'm calling it. I'm calling it right now. I'm putting my foot down. That's the worst description we've ever done. This it, it's it, does, back it has of an the, unenviable task. It is just saying like, hey, the movie is this guy likes this girl and like he ages backwards. And it, here is what's cool about it: you should really buy this movie off the shelf because it's an Academy Award winning winner. And here are the star. Like it's so we like these descriptors because they give you a little bit of insight, a little bit of preparation for the movie you're about to watch saying like, Hey, you know, you should be interested in this and why it's in the collection because you know, this movie was recovered from the deepest, you know, darkest parts of Russia and it's like this thing, saved from this burning and last great work by this great director. It, exactly. This and this, this is and this. so famously, this is a movie that is distributed by criterion, but like, not really. It's got the paramount high definition logo in front of it. It's a collaboration. It's garbage. And so the, the Blu-ray looks like a regular Blu-ray instead of your usual criterion thing. People have found workarounds and printed out their own and all this kind of garbage just around just trying to get it out of its disgusting looking packaging. It also means that it's the cheapest criterion you can get on Blu-ray. I bought it myself for six bucks from a secondhand shop. Um, 
but it's worth about that much that is exactly what this movie is about worth and it it is inexplicable so what sean what is this movie because uh it's maybe one of the weirder ones in the collection that we've covered so far anyway so uh, but but not for the reasons of like oh this is a fucking crazy ass movie with a bunch of weird shit that it's so conventional Right. But has in just enough strangeness in it to be weird because it's it's this sort of sentimental Forrest Gump because it's the same writer as Forrest Gump, right? That's the right, thing. right. That's kind of thing that people say. Yeah, it's that, but directed by David Fincher, like Forrest Gump, directed by David Fincher, sounds like an SNL sketch. You know, like what a weird yes. director to apply to that—the guy who's all known for, you know, cl- clinical. Is like clinical, clean, detached viewpoint, and like these like edgy characters with so much to hide. Like what? Right. That's, that's what Fincher that's is. Really this is, sense. and this is like th- the characters don't have anything to hide in this movie because they all just like wear their hearts on their sleeves and like talk in platitudes of like, oh, you know, life is really hard for a person who's alive and uh when you You die you can't live life without dying death Mm. (laughs) you can't you can't see you can't see someone's heart without knowing whoa 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 paramount pictures is showing up i did this last episode i can't do it again the the curious case of sean jamin button (laughs) <laughs> nothing's weird about him he's just kind of annoying his we go name, through his life and nothing really happens is sean jamin button yeah sean have you ever seen the mad animation like mad magazine animated parody of this? i have you I have think i did i the, i watched that show when it was on as a kid so i'm sure i've seen it but if you're asking me if i've retained it that's a very different question it's this is how i was introduced to this movie is i knew i was a weird kid so even though i didn't i was aware of the fact that the curious case of benjamin button existed and i knew the premise even though i was seven when this thing came out so i found when uh the mad magazine cartoon that the joke was it's the curious case of benjamin batman and the bit is that only the middle 20 minutes is exciting because then Batman can be Batman and then the rest of it is really lame, which is a great bit <laughs> and kind of applies to this movie that's wacky. What, like you, look at, you have a confused look on your face, but no, that like that was the that was what I understood of this movie before having seen it. And I've seen this before. Uh, again, I said I saw this movie uh, before today, but I think that is a great takedown of what is obviously like a weird bit of Oscar bait that's trying to dress up a story that can't sustain it. It's a bunch of people being like, oh, man, you know whatever right like you you nailed it and they try they're trying to mine some themes from the thing but it's also got this weird tone of like there's in some moments it feels like this movie is like a joke of itself it's making a joke about what it would be like it's almost a jokey version of an oscar movie but it's not it's also really genuinely trying to get you get those moments out of you the framing device is so weird the 
the concept, the tone is so off-putting. The idea of this as fairy tale or or some kind of myth. Like, is it a dark fantasy for adults or is it like a childish fairy tale? It's just, it's very difficult to know who this was aimed at besides, right. like, Academy voters who right. want a nice movie. They're they're eighty nine years old. They're fading into the ether, and they right. want to smile while a nice movie plays with that boy Brad Pitt and Kate Blanchett. They seem right. nice. I know sure. them. I'm six thousand years old. I'm an Academy voter, and sure, I'll give them an award. <laughs> You're Why 6, not? Thousand years old. I'm a vampire. Are you, are you Adam? <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm. Adam, I'm the first man, and I love voting for really <laughs> mediocre romantic dramas. Giving it to actors who seem nice. They remind me of my grandson. <laughs> Seth. <laughs> your grandson, like your biblical grandson, or whatever. Seth is actually his son, but whatever. It would be Cain and Abel, right? No, Cain and Abel no, would be his sons. sons. Yeah. Cain, Abel, Seth, yeah. I don't remember his grandson's name. That's Methuselah? A... I think that was one of their grandsons. That that's like that's a little farther down the line, I think. But yeah, out. you're 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 in the right vein. Um <laughs> but but enough about Genesis. This is a movie we keep on talking around because there's n- I what whose idea was this? Like it's clearly not Fincher's. Fincher is not the 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 uh the auteur here even it really feels like it's the writer's movie yeah it it has that sort of um i almost said donald trump instead of forrest gump it has that uh <laughs> wow i'm glad There's... the fucking mad animated show isn't around anymore you would have that <laughs> but yeah it feels like that forrest gump kind of mythologizing of americana where it's i mean to a lesser extent but it's kind of like you know but World it's like War dark II. that's and part of sad. american mythology yeah well sure but I, I think that that's kind of the proof of not the proof of concept but that's kind of the idea of let's have a, a darker maybe more melancholy mm-hmm. interpretation of the forest gump thing it even right, has right. the same like framing device which is really lame because that just kind of it it creates the sense of inevitability that isn't very compelling no because because you're just like yeah this guy's gonna die one day i bet this movie ends with him like loving this woman and then they like one of them dies they both die like but it's so weird because at that point the premise of the movie isn't really that important it feels like it's it's somebody it's someone who is degenerating taking care of someone else who is also degenerating which would be the same if they were both 80 years old the only problem right. is that they have to split up when she's middle-aged because he can't raise her kid, which like, right, but- sure, but shouldn't that be the movie? That's like mm-hmm. the only point at which it's interesting. Besides, I guess the point where he's like an old man baby, but that's, that's not funny and it's not right. that weird. It's just, it's and just we're missing is. And we're missing the forest for the trees here. I mean, I guess this movie is all trees, really, but there's a whole bookending device of like, this woman reading about the fact that her father wasn't who she thought it was. And it, her father was actually Benjamin Button and this woman dying, but also there's a hurricane coming. And also just a quick side note, 
and I'm saying it with the same amount of tone that the movie has, there was this clockmaker and he made a clock and it went backwards. And it's supposed to represent uh, the fact that we really miss like our, our dead uh, sons or whatever who, who died in the world wars. Uh, and it run now is now you're cursed to watch a clock run backwards instead of getting the actual time at like the train station. <laughs> you jerks. <laughs> like what is all that? What is this? Yeah, it, it's a weird joke. So, I'm saying a lot of things. Trying to find right something now. to be about, right? Other it, than just like yeah, a vehicle for like a decently respected director and mm. respected actors and some interesting just, special effects. You know, are they? I don't think that they're interesting. I think that it's just kind of. Is that what this is? A technological proof of concept that yeah, this can. Um, I, I mean, I think in work. 2008, it's interesting you know it's your think about it 2008 you got your dark knights you got your iron mans you got your incredible hulks cgi is still you know it's gotten to the point where cgi can make stuff that looks really good enough for a blockbuster audience but the idea of interaction is still difficult enough because the last like interaction between uh like human actors and cgi that everyone has fresh in their mouth is like uh the star wars prequels so having like a guy who has to be de-aged is still interesting enough for people to try to 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 praise and i and i remember it being praised at the time or you know and you can see that a lot of people praise it now still as like one of the i mean it's the forebearer of like the irishman or any of these de-aging special effects that we talk to now three years later we got captain america using the exact same effects to make him like a shrimpy dude before he becomes mr buff and um i so i i get it on that level it's an interesting special effects showcase a little bit but why that's not enough for it to be in the collection who decided that it was okay for this movie to be in the collection? Well, I guess I, I guess I have to wonder how much crossover the kind of stuffy traditional Academy voter who is the kind of person that you know nominates Green Book as best picture. How much crossover does that have? Has it win? Yes. Yeah. Let's not forget. Let's not downplay the hardship that that caused. <laughs> right. Yeah. It, like, how much crossover does it have with the, with the the board members so to speak at criterion you know you well okay so bay i have no idea i have no idea factually how much yeah, me but neither. usually it doesn't seem like that right? much there's yeah. not even if there's oscar winning movies that tend to be in the collection either they are older movies or they are the foreign language film oscars which definitely we've seen before we saw it from black orpheus and you know even we're seeing now we got your drive my cars in here that are just these these movies that uh, are or cold war or triangle of sadness these movies that got oscar attention that are from other countries and so they get to be in the collection but usually your best picture winners don't get to be in the collection your best picture nominees it's not exactly a precursor to being in the collection there are far more important things at stake in Criterion's mind. And I'm not even just saying that in terms of what I want it to be. I'm saying in terms of what they've shown us so far, that seems to be true. So I don't know. It's a real odd piece. I wonder if they just wanted another Fincher 
or if there was the deal with Paramount that for why this movie that this movie should be distributed by Criterion and they just sold out for a second or whatever or you know I don't know the the movie I kept thinking about when watching this was um Christopher Nolan's following because Christopher Nolan only has one film in the collection or, or Danny Boyle's shallow grave, both of which are first films from directors that go on to do way better movies, uh, shallow grave, slightly better movies. But um, these directors who it's like, these are the origins. This is where they started out. We'll we'll talk about a screenwriter who kind of has that arc in a second. Right. Um, But this does not, so so like it's like oh this is a lesser work but it's kind of how they got their start this is well into fincher's career this is him getting to make an oscar movie after you know pumping out these like thriller type movies he you got zodiac coming out uh having just come out you could have used zodiac instead why is curious case of benjamin button the one that they chose for the collection I, I have no answer. It's just seemingly wanting to get more of the Finch man in there. Yeah. Well, there's no I, answers here. It, it's just no, a we, weird. We don't have any real solid answers. Right. Right. All I right, think so... the main answer to our answer to why is this in the collection is that it probably shouldn't be. It should not be 100%. Yeah. Um, I don't, I didn't mind it. I will say, and just so that oh. I justify my rating at the end, like I'm not painting this as like the worst thing to ever exist. There's some great moments in here. It also doesn't feel it's incredibly long length. Like it's not too, it's two hours and 40 minutes that feel more like a nice breezy two hour long movie. Um, yeah, I, I, I basically completely agree. And I'm, I'm glad you brought it up because I should also probably mention it, that I didn't mind the experience of watching it. It's, couple of great actors and a very competent director not necessarily in his element but right. there were plenty of times when i felt like this could be an excerpt from a really even a really great movie you know mm-hmm. except like the guy who kept keeps talking about how he gets hit by lightning right right you know or you know when and it's done in that old school buster keaton style yeah. right yeah something like that or when um when the Kate Blanchett as a as a kid is getting read too, and then freaky little Benjamin pops out behind her and is like, "Oh, keep do keep reading the story." Like, ah, that right. Was funny. I, that was the you moment know? when I was like, "They should have had a different director. They should have gotten a Wes Anderson." That's such a Wes Anderson joke, where the joke is like how he creepily pops into frame, you know. And obviously, it's got these weird uh, bookends, these framing de- this framing device of like a story within a story, and then like sidetracked by another story and everything. So. You know, if they had gone more the quirky route, if they had chosen any perspective on this movie, I would have appreciated it more. And it feels like they didn't. They just kind of threw a couple things in the air and waited for the awards to pour in. Now, the last thing I want to talk about before we move on to uh, uh, your pick, which ended up being more compelling this week, you definitely won this week uh, in terms of, but although I wouldn't even say by like that big of a margin, but you definitely won this week. Um, is this is uh, unless something you know unless Criterion releases Mank in the next couple of years or something like that this will be the last time we visit David Fincher we're leaving him behind we've completed his filmography of the game and this movie and I I would love to give your I'm I'm a big Fincher fan but you know these are not his best movies the game is still up there but definitely not one of his all-timers and this is pretty low on my list i think i would put it next to alien 3 for his worst work maybe tied with mink 
Um, so what final closing thoughts on Fincher as a director? Well, we've talked quite a bit about Fight Club, which I think mm. is probably my favorite of his. Sure. Um, that's another one you can hear more about on the greatest episode of all time. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a few that I should have seen from him that I haven't, like mm. Zodiac, Girl with Dragon Tattoo. Is that one good? Yeah. Or is it just kind of fun? I have it, I have it on my shelf. I'm watching it sometime this week, so... Well, you'll be able Defin- to tell it's me. the last Fincher I haven't seen. So yeah, there, there's definitely some I will some say holes that there, same but... place that I bought the uh, Criterion Benjamin Button for like six bucks. I also bought a Girl with the Dragon Tattoo Special Edition Blu-ray Digital HD for four dollars. So I'm I'm guessing some people don't really respect it that much. Although I'm told that some people really do. I think I would say that Fincher. I wouldn't ever call him one of my guys necessarily, but I've always been waiting for like a really great David Fincher movie because I think he has one in him. But I mean, besides like Fight Club, which I think kind of brushes at that, Mm -hmm. I think he just needs a really great script. I would want to see him collaborate with like a really, really great screenwriter. I, I would actually kind of like to see him collaborate with Charlie Kaufman. That's I interesting. That would be an interesting I would I love mean, not- that, but he did do that, Sean. You forget his best movie. What? The Social Network. That I is when seen the Social Network. That is the. I mean, that's the peak of David Fincher because it's not very David Finchery. There's not a lot of like thriller elements or you know murderer elements. There's not this reverence for cinema that goes backwards. It's not any of that. It it, it is the perfect David Fincher movie because it's actually just an Aaron Sorkin movie directed to perfection by like one of our great directors right now, you know? Well, shit, I guess that's, that's the one you got it. That's the one you got to be the one I have to say. I'll have to report back to, to give my definitive rating. But I mean, ultimately I, he, he seems like a very, He's an incredibly competent but workmanlike director that I think needs the right project. He's not an auteur, which is like interesting. The guys that I tend to really, really like, they're like incredibly interested in every aspect of the creative process, incredibly interested in every aspect of their work. Fincher to me seems like a perfectionist who has this house style and an, and a great understanding of how to use that style, but isn't necessarily super interested on every level. You know, sure. interesting. And that is a hot take you're putting out there. I, you know, is it though? Because I think when people think of Fincher, they think of the kind of, yeah, like detached, clinical, like a sort of outsider perspective at at his subjects. So, I mean, on some level, I don't even think it's a weakness. It's just that is his interest as a creator and as an artist, and it doesn't resonate with me. It doesn't. It doesn't resonate with me on every level, you know, the same way someone like, I don't know, Kurosawa would, right? Kurosawa, I think he could do a movie that has that sort of outsider perspective, but the sentimentality, he he just falls in love with his own subject matter so much at every level that he can't help but read through. And this sort of, there's a sort of humanity that Fincher doesn't exactly embody. 
I don't think that, that Fincher like misanthropic, but he's, but he's like he hates the world a little. Like Fincher's unifying theory is that there's deep darkness within every single human that is just you know scrambling to get out. Like Seven is that Fight Club is obviously that you've got uh, Social Network is uh, is less of that, but definitely is there. Uh, I mean, every one of them, Panic Room, Mank, like. Uh, gone girl all these are saying like just but it's it's very lynchian right it's like just below the surface of all these uh of all of a very normal life there's this like hidden darkness that we're just never going to get rid of that exists deep within our souls i think that really binds everything together zodiac man like that's exactly it you know these are these movies about the about uh thematically i think that, that that they're all bound together i think their style is very very similar fincher is famous for not using that many handhelds and liking these crazy over-the-top cgi helped uh shots that look very plain and workmanlike but actually took a lot of time to compose like backgrounds and uh houses and buildings and you know tree placement and all this stuff i i I think he's got a unifying theory i would push back on your your non-auteur uh theory about fincher uh even though i think that's that's a really unique perspective that's just kind of the impression i get yeah i i can fully submit that maybe i'm not uh Maybe I'm not fully hip to his style, but someone who I am a little bit more confident on. Well, well, hold Kaufman. on, hold on. So your homework for this week going forward, you got to watch a David Fincher, one of the, the, the all-timers. You got to watch your social network. You got to watch maybe a Zodiac or whatever for David Fincher. Meanwhile, my homework for watching outside of the collection is BAM! BOW! I've done it! I'm I'm still on it, man! Twin oh, Peaks. I'm no. I'm bringing out the Twin Peaks segment. We haven't done this in a while. Every once in a while, I talk check in with you guys, telling you that I've been watching Twin Peaks, and I have been watching Twin Peaks. I'm still working my way through it, but uh, I just have something really important to say about my viewings of Twin Peaks. I am completely lost. I have no idea what is going on at all at I, at any moment in the show. I'm I'm out. I have no idea. I'm reading wikipedia summaries to try to keep up i have no clue season two this is season two yes i I have no idea what's going on in Uh in in certain moments i'm like okay i forget what this character is i'm i'm gonna have have really fucking bad news for you about (laughs) season three it gets worse it's i mean to say it gets worse is like is like you stubbing your toe and being like, "Cause this day possibly get any worse?" And I'm a time traveler, and it's <laughs> September tenth, two thousand one, and you're in the Twin Towers. Well, sorry, it's it changed it's, to him. It's it's five minutes on nine eleven, and there's no time to escape. And I'm about to tell you that's that is the extent to which season three is worse in that way. Great, but, but season three is also the best part of. Ugh. And maybe the best thing ever that anyone's ever done. People have said that Twin Peaks is kind of the ultimate like blank check. People have said the the season three. I mean, like a, a director who's like, I'm gonna go to a network and I'm gonna say this really weird thing that was already kind of weird. I'm so popular that I'm just going to make it even weirder, even more ridiculous, even more me exactly the way I want it. And you're not going to interfere or do a thing. And they're like, yep. Yeah, uh, how much money do you want? Yeah. If not that, 
if that is not the ultimate blank check, I don't know what he could possibly have done to make it like more offensive or less fun. <laughs> but, Mulholland anyway. Drive 2. Mulholland Any- Drive Cinematic Universe. Anyway. We're going to talk. We're, we're going to move from the, the Finch Man we're to the Cough into this ma- weird <laughs> <weapon hole>. <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> Sorry. I'm a little bit of a Cough Man today. You fucking hate me today. <laughs> I just can't get a fucking transition to save my goddamn life. <laughs> how many more of how much more of this do I have to take? It's it you're, you're just going backwards through time. That doesn't impact the amount of time that you have, but it de- definitely it just it's, makes it more annoying. <laughs> makes it more annoying. Being John Malkovich. What is it like being John Malkovich? It's an, it's about. a curious case. Directed by Spike Jones, with a description on the Criterion website. It's a little bit like this. Have you ever wanted to be someone else, or more yes. specifically, have? Wait, wait. Or oh, that wasn't a question. Okay. No, that. No, I was reading the description. Are you oh, really okay. not hip to what we're doing at this point? No, Is I have this- no. Wait, listen. what? What? You're fucking making an ass out of me right now. Are you kidding me? Out of you? <laughs> out of you? You're you're making me. <laughs> you're making me want to kill you oh dang have you ever wanted to be someone else wait wait is this the description no. wa- this is the description okay more wait. specifically have you ever wanted to crawl through a portal hidden in an anonymous office building and thereby enter the cerebral cortex of john malkovich for 15 minutes before being spat out on the side of the new jersey turnpike and director spike jones and writer charlie kaufman have the movie for you melancholy marionettes office drudgery a frizzy haired cameron diaz but that's not all. Surrealism, Possession, John Cusack, a domesticated primate, Freud, Catherine Keener, non-sequiturs, and absolutely no romance? But wait, get your being John Malkovich now and we'll throw in emasculation, slapstick, Abelard and Eloise, and extra Malkovich, Malkovich, Malkovich. I think I'm, that might be the worst description. No, so I'm, I'm actually going to give that one the medal for the best description I've ever heard. Of I a think movie. that's a it's okay here's the thing it it's such a distinct image i have of the criterion intern who's Mm -hmm. fucking (laughs) who's fucking on adderall like at 1 a.m just trying to bang out these description is just like what's in this movie malkovich malkovich this element this element this element but that's not all this element this takes a big this element are there too you know what? I've come around to it. It is actually. I, I think it's funny. I think that what's cool about it is that it's not advertising. The, the reason why I hated the Benjamin Button one so much is that it sounds like it's advertising material. Like, oh, I love these. Ad- oh, John, check this one out. We should we should ch- we should rent this movie from our local Blockbuster because it's 2007 and Blockbuster's still around. And then so, uh, whereas this is like a bit you know i i think this is like insider baseball in a way that criterions kind of should be while also being very open to like oh it's gonna be a little wacky comedy sounds good you know i guess is it a wacky comedy though it kind of is it is sure wacky and it sure is a comedy but it is a comedy it definitely is silly and i think wacky and comedy can both apply while being a wacky comedy still doesn't fully make yeah yeah fair enough yeah that's exactly it so Charlie Kaufman is he's he's one of those guys that's like 
not entry level film guy to be big into exactly but mm-hmm. he is like if someone's like oh my favorite artist or writer or whatever is charlie kaufman you're kind of like okay or at least i am because no, you, you're, you're no, not wrong yeah you're not yeah wrong. Uh, at least because like if i see a guy that looks like me with my same mustache and my same just whole shit and entire vibe and they're like i fucking love charlie kaufman it's like yeah sure you come on man that's <laughs> it, it, you know it's a little sure. bit it's a little bit gauche like oh this well, is a this is a smart guy this is you know but it's like liking fincher you know but you also there's a superiority i think sometimes to people who like kaufman that they're like oh these are thinking man's movies these are philosophical as if in you know i will say look i i got just like everyone else everyone goes through their kaufman phase i got through my kaufman phase whatever and i'm not saying that i don't like it doesn't mean i don't like his movies i just mean like there was a time when i thought charlie kaufman was the greatest thing since sliced bread and i think that can come from an idea that oh films aren't made like this there's nothing there's no film that's like philosophical and except the like these six movies or whatever and then when you get deeper into film you're like okay movies can be really philosophical movies can you know tickle your funny bone movies can have interesting premises much like you know what the curious case of benjamin button should have been a charlie kaufman movie because it is also a movie about like obsession with death through like a science fictiony premise that isn't supposed to be science fiction and more focuses on the drama that's my fix for that movie Anyway. I agree. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I think legit, like we're saying, like a future yeah. movie written by Kaufman. I mean, that's... That's what Curious Case of Benjamin Button really should have been. Yeah, that... but I, I think that the the kind of um, hallmark of Kaufman is always the fact that he is unabashedly writing for himself and about himself. Mm-hmm. And that... And himself is very afraid of dying one day and is obsessed with it. Well, yeah, but it's, he, he has these fixations and he has this kind of incredible, like self-consciousness to him. Mm -hmm. Almost, I say incredible because it's like the extent to which he's bearing his soul and kind of exposing like all of his deepest tendencies and predilections and everything like all of his work is very honest in a way that isn't necessarily a full unabashed compliment because on some levels like you do have to when you're making art kind of couch it in something right some kind of universal Mm. humanity but it is all very clearly from this radiating outward from these are my anxieties this is my kind of these are my kind of personal inhibitions and everything and you know, them being projected outward. So, I mean, if there's any flaw, you could say, like, across his work, it is that, that it, it does feel limited to that, but... It's I, almost too, it's too per, it, it, it's personal in a way that feels childish. It's sort of teenager-like. Like, it, his movies are brilliant and well-crafted and all this, well-written and everything, but also, if, if they were, like, 20% less well-written or less well-directed in his, his later movies cases, then you would be like, oh, these are made by like a student at like a film school who's like, man, guys, like, isn't it crazy we don't like talk about how we're going to die one day? And you're like, wow, well, is that your most original thought? No, it's... Well, I, I would contest that a little bit because I, I do think that he... 
like he explores these subjects in in a way that is very complex and interesting and he does have a he he has a very ambitious view of what film and what the the whole medium of storytelling is capable of doing that right. I think always work ends up working to their benefit. Mm-hmm. Like he, the, he, like this is the first movie that was produced that he screenwrote, and mm-hmm. how fucking incredibly ambitious is it on so many levels to say I am going to write a movie all based around this one guy, and if he doesn't agree to it, it's not working, and right, also right. it's this incredibly strange out there like science fiction adjacent dream logic thing that i mean it could have been a i mean not this exactly but it could have been being steve buscemi too it's not like that crazy to be like this is you know be uh, being anthony hopkins or whatever i don't know though because like john malkovich was his first choice and mm. well, here's the thing: yes. not every actor would have necessarily worked here. I think John Malkovich. I, I think we can kind of move on to the the characters and, and the actual story here. But sure, John Malkovich, the guy, is a perfect. He's a perfect vessel for this kind of story because mm. the kind of roles that he had played up until that point was like, yeah, moderately respected character actor mm. who's not like insanely rich and famous he's not like a sex icon or a sex symbol or anything he's but also just he came of, from theater you know people people respect him a little bit more like yeah, i like said buscemi's like a terrible example because buscemi's like not respected just well known cough or uh malkovich is exactly the opposite he's not well known especially at this point but he's well respected in a way. You well, know? I think it's he's the kind of person or the kind of actor that the general audience feels like, yeah, you know, he's a good actor. We kind of respect him, but if we also remember, don't really have a great like. We don't we don't have a great amount of affection for him, you know, like, right. what, yeah, John Malkovich, you know, John Malkovich. Oh, yeah. What's name a single movie he's been in? Oh, uh, I, I have to say up at that point in time that those characters were, I also would have had similar difficulty naming a John Malkovich. Con right, Air right. would have been right on my head, but I completely fucking forgot he was in Of Mice and Men as Lenny. That's crazy. Well, it's weird. As, as referenced in this movie. I No, I know. I, yeah. I The movie had to reference it for me, for me uh, to remember like, oh God, yeah. I, I think that what you're what you were saying about uh, Kaufman is totally true. Where it's like he comes out of the gate with this film that is uh, on theme. It's, it's a bold statement for an artist to make. Um, I think we're looking back at it and being like, well, you know, he gets better at it. <laughs> being John Malkovich isn't his best film, and you know, he 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 really needs to polish up a couple of his loose ends, but. If, even if this was a one-off movie for him and, and in his collaboration with Spike Jones, it would still be, you know, maybe a cult object for sure. And uh, the everything that makes Charlie Kaufman Charlie Kaufman is already here. All the death stuff is already here. All the the things that you like and don't like about him, the, the protagonists that all kind of hate themselves but are also kind of jerks, like one step away from being just absolute, you know – horrifying villains uh definitely true 
uh, these uh, characters, the the female characters, are I would say a little underwritten, but that's not they're, they're, they serve their purpose totally fine. I, I, I disagree with that. I feel like I mean I, okay. I how, how, let yeah, me let okay. me take that back. Let me take that back. I don't think they're underwritten. I think that they are based on stereotypes that might come across as derogatory, but are just they just happen to be the two only two women. The, the the two women characters in the movie in a way that feel and because they happen to represent two archetypes that kind of doesn't really work that well for me if i'm trying to assess him as a writer overall as opposed to the their function within this movie i guess sure i i just feel like i i i definitely agree that they can be from a certain perspective based on misogynistic stereotypes. Sure. But th- it really does, they, they they serve the purpose that I think every character serves, which is that no one's a fully good person. I mean, you really don't, you can't really root for anybody at any point. Like everybody's sympathetic in the sense that they have these neuroses and these compulsions, like these very human compulsions. And it's really just a matter of how, I, I feel like protagonist. Honestly, I was versus... rooting for John Malkovich because he's the one who's he's the most passive character. He's the one who everything is being done to. You know. Well, yeah, I, I think that in terms of who you're supposed to root for, it's about how abstract their desires are. Mm-hmm. So, like Craig, you're supposed to kind of pull for him, not necessarily because he's a good person or a better person, and you understand that that he's not a good person, but he does have this basic human compulsion that we understand to live a different life because he's mm-hmm. currently living a bad life. And that's a very understandable human desire. Maxine's desires are a little bit more obscure, a little bit more complex. It's hard to know what the fuck her deal is. And it's it's not that she's a worse person than Craig, but because of there's that increased abstraction mm-hmm. because Craig is meant to embody the, the audience slash the artist slash in parentheses Kaufman's, you know, mm-hmm. his his own insecurities about who he is, this, this desire to live vicariously and to change. His but I life. think we're supposed to hate Maxine. Is well, you we're know, like there's to, nothing we're there's seeing n- it from Craig's perspective. But, but there's nothing that- redeeming about Maxine in the way there is not redeeming uh, how how to say there's nothing good about maxine she's not there's no good qualities that she possesses that make you go well she's a bad person but in the same way that you think about like uh craig or lottie when but you're not supposed to think about that well she's a bad person but she might have these redeeming qualities it's not not about anybody having redeeming qualities or good or bad it's i think that you're supposed to get the impression that there's things going on that Craig's perspective does not allow you to understand, and you're mm. supposed to be limited by Craig's perspective. And sure. I think that it's kind of implied in a sense that yeah. there's a lot of things that we're not seeing that Craig doesn't understand. But we but leave because we understand Craig's perspective Craig's multiple person. times. We we by the ending, the climax of the movie is 
these two women running through John Malkovich's uh, subconscious, it lightly implied that, you know, Craig put them there, but we don't see any of that. Like the movie isn't about Craig by the end. I, I don't, I, I think that we're only seeing, seeing it from quote Craig's perspective because we're seeing it from Kaufman's perspective. Well, yeah, the Kaufman. I, I think, but I mean, that's kind of the main thing, though, isn't it? I, I don't think that we need to literally be experiencing it through Craig's eyes to have the movie still be of Craig on pretty much every level. Because even sure. at the end, when we're, you know, Craig is supposedly not in the movie and we're just seeing Lottie and Maxine, and then we realize the whole time that we were kind of seeing it through, you know, in him putting himself in their daughter. Like, I think at every right, point that's... we are... Yeah, we that's are kind true. of meant to see like Craig's perspective as but the, the omnipresent the, crushing thing. The camera doesn't agree with you though. I think that there's moments where uh like for example when he does get his wish when he gets to live inside John Malkovich's head and he has control over him and he gets to be uh the the puppeteer and everything. They're intentionally showing you shots of a very unhappy um uh, Maxine at you know putting up uh, uh, things and then they show you shots of uh, Lottie and the uh, group of older people who are trying to get inside John Mogwitch's head uh, it, by the way if you guys are hearing this and haven't watched the movie this is like this is really this is really what happens in the movie it's awesome um, but like you're seeing the the old people and Lottie who want to be inside his head there's the extended uh, documentary that about you know the rise of John Malkovich as a puppeteer, I I I think that all of that points to it's not just about Craig's perspective, and because of that, I need something to grab onto for this to be a pseudo happy ending for Maxine and Lottie. I don't think it's necessarily supposed to be a happy ending. First of all, because you get this sense that Maxine and Lottie are both deeply very strange and unhappy but mm. i i mean well actually i i kind of want to go back on that because that's also a sense that we get I, I would maintain that we still are seeing everything not necessarily literally what craig sees because yeah there mm. are times when we see you know malkovich on his own when supposedly so well i we kind of know at that point from that point that right. everyone or there could be anybody who's inside his head by the way I I'm I'm gonna say this right now. Best Charlie Charlie Sheen cameo in a movie of all time. It beats out uh, Ferris Bueller, which is the obvious other one. I'm I'm just throwing that down here. I like how he's his big balding comb over. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Holy cow. That guy looks like the leader from from Incredible Hulk comics. You guys, you guys, fans of the leader out there. Yep. I really love the leader. I really hope the leader is in the next Marvel movie. Uh, Tim Blake Nelson is supposed to play cool. the needle, the the leader. Actually, I think That's he cool. was. He already was looks like a cartoon set up. He looks yeah. like a CGI man. Weird choice. What if this was being Tim Blake Nelson? Actually, I like that. No, well, okay. Well, I'm I'm glad that you reminded me because I think I got away from it. But the mm-hmm. reason that it has to be being John Malkovich to me is that. Malkovich's performance in this is this, I mean, playing as himself, obviously. It, I, I really like the decision to have John Malkovich, the real guy in the character right. in this movie. Be Instead like of being like Mr. Actor guy. Well, yeah. he's, a, he's a composite of John Malkovich characters. Mm-hmm. 
because okay. I mean that, that works for the movie, sure. of course, because it's you know it's about the people understanding him just on that surface level as a composite of his characters and the way that they know him. But yeah, that kind of like theater actor, like kind of pretentious, kind of detached, like a little bit bitchy, like kind of like weird and sort of effeminate and kind of like demanding in a sense. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's like I said earlier, you, if you ever have a cameo or whatever as yourself in a movie, you need to be kind of an asshole. Because that probably sure. means that you're cool in real life. You're willing to laugh at yourself. <laughs> you're willing to have fun at yourself. And playing that exaggerated character here. But people like people don't know John Malkovich as a guy well enough to really know something different. So it it's the fact that it is being John Malkovich. This guy that you don't know that much about, but you kind of imagine as a composite of the characters he plays. Writing him then as a composite of the characters he plays. That I think that works really well. Um, I, I, comparing it to other coffee movies like Synecdoche, which I really love, mm-hmm. and Unhinged Ending, which which, which, I which really, by really like, but like which less. by the way, but, in the in Roger Ebert's review for Curious Case of Benjamin Button, uh, he literally says like, "Guys, this is a hack job. This is ridiculous. I can't believe that Fincher made this." Like he 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 he's generous to it enough. He gives it like two and a half stars or whatever. He gives it its praise or whatever. But he literally says what we said is like it's a nice little movie for nice people who want to get him Oscars. But he says the movie that I want to say that this year will be remembered by, while this one gets its inevitable Best Picture Oscar, which it didn't. But he's like, oh, it's going to happen or whatever. Is Synecdoche, New York? He's like, this is the movie of the year that everyone should remember. Mark my. He literally says, mark my words. People will remember Synecdoche, New York, long after they've forgotten this movie. Yeah, but comparing it to comparing this to those. Mm-hmm. I would definitely say the symbolic language is a lot more in your face and up front. Mm. And the whole idea is of, oh, he is a puppeteer. He wants to be somebody else. He is trying to embody and he's got this, this sense of ego, like megalomania and ego and control that is communicated very obviously by being right. a puppeteer. Like those the symbolic language is a lot more on the nose and, you know, you could even say heavy-handed in mm-hmm. this. So, But that just speaks to, I think, Hoffman's ultimate development as a writer and as an author um, as he develops a little bit more a little bit more of a sense of complexity in his metaphors mm-hmm. um, and also graduates a little bit onto embodying different kinds of characters outside of themselves. You know, it, I mean, although he is still limited by that, I, I think that that's like still holds up as a criticism of his work. Um, sure, but yeah, so he'll he'll get better. I, I'm yeah. I, I respect this as a play, having a place in the collection because I think that it's a confluence of a lot of different things. I think it's a really important uh, '90s movie. It's a 1999 film. I think it's a really important Kaufman work. Obviously, Spike Jones. It, it's it's the great. It feels like the beginning of a lot of things. And uh, even though I might have my preferences, Synecdoche in New York being one of them, or uh, I also, Eternal Sunshine, one of my all-time favorite and I think one of the all-time great movies, I think a lot of people are saying that now, and so that's going to sound very trite. But um, 
you know, even though I respect those movies more, I really think this deserves a place in the collection and um, I'm, I'm here for it enough. Yeah, absolutely. I, it's, and it's funny. It's, a, it's, it's funny. Very, you know, yeah. it's, it's also, a funny movie. It's an entertaining movie. Like, we're talking so academically is, about it. <laughs> it's a cult. Like it's a cult movie because it's entertaining fundamentally. Like you watch it and it's just weird enough, but it's also like sci-fi adjacent. It's, it's one of those movies that's very into its rules. You know, mm. like a lot of like nerd movies like that are like, here are the rules of the universe. And right, we're, right. We're going to keep it consistent and everything, which I like. It is adjacent to the lore and world building stuff that I sure. feel like in a lot of cases is kind of overrated. But, you know, I like it. It's fundamentally cute. And cool rules and are satisfying. Be- rules yeah. are always better for a movie, I think, than lore and world building because lore is something that happened off screen and world building is something that should be a natural extension of the story and if it isn't and you have to say world building as if it's a separate aspect of the filmmaking process then you're already lost whereas rules set your stakes for the movie set your suspension of disbelief set your tone set your uh set the boundaries within which your characters are going to attain their goals. I, I mean, I, the other movie that I think about when I think of this movie, like the first Kaufman movie in my head, like of this style is like Groundhog Day. You know, it's like, oh, there's this one premise. It's sci-fi ish. There's this guy and he's kind of a, it's kind of a movie obsessed with death. And how is he going to be able to escape this like little weird notch in life? And, uh, the, what rules about Groundhog Day is it also happens to be, in my opinion, one of the funniest comedies ever made. And being John Malkovich also is very, very funny, you know? And, yeah. While I keeping think Ground- rules consistent and everything. You know? I think Groundhog Day is the biggest point of comparison to, to this movie, even though I have not seen Groundhog Day. If... Oh. Whatever, that doesn't really seem like one of those that I would be all that into. Well, I watch it every single Groundhog Day. Yeah, it's also, you're, you're it's you. also, yeah, I know. You do I a lot of things. I, I'm, I, I'm, I watch the entire Criterion Collection. Uh, yeah, imagine for like the viewership of like ten people or whatever. I could never. So I think with that we're gonna move on to our rankings. Uh, we didn't do a lot of bits this episode. I'm just, just calling that out plainly. Ranking these movies was interesting for me uh because like i said i enjoyed this week a lot but uh they ended up ranking very low at come we have 109 uh entries into our list this uh, as of this week so coming in at number 79 right above the grand illusion or grand illusion and right below andre rublev is the 39 steps really good hitchcock you know a really fun hitchcock thriller um that I enjoyed watching once and uh, just don't think is that remarkable. Then uh, coming in next. Uh, so coming in above 39 steps, I have at appropriately, I, I don't know why this is appropriately at number 69 got being John Malkovich coming in right below watership down right above uh, Lawrence Olivier's Hamlet. Uh, I really like this movie. I own this movie. I will watch it again. And it's going to be more frequently watched than most of these movies just because it's, you know, Kaufman and I'll rewatch a bunch of Kaufman movies. I'll get in a mood or whatever. But, uh, you know, 
just just not the best really could used uh a little more uh from it i guess that was also not my uh that was not next because curious cases of benjamin button is at number 86 that's the lowest i have i for some reason thought 39 steps was the lowest i have uh all out of order Yep, Curious Case of Benjamin Button is coming in at 86, right below Salo and right above The Rock. Uh, I basically put it at the level of The Rock where it's like, I don't know, fun time-ish, but kind of standard Hollywood fare. And I think that that's, you know, where it sits. It definitely deserves that spot. Coming in pretty high, I have Charade at number 17. I have it below Cure and right above The Ice Storm. I really enjoy Charade. I think it is the peak of Hollywood filmmaking, or a peak, a peak in Hollywood filmmaking in terms of what uh, was going around, uh, going on around this time. And uh, I, I love it. I, it's an all timer for me. I'm gonna own this movie. I'm gonna rewatch this movie. It's, it's a movie to love. All right. So. I have a segment of movies on this list that I explicitly dislike, starting mm. with Okja at 107 and going oh on gosh. down to Blood for Dracula at 113. Mm-hmm. Curious Case of Benjamin Button is at 106. Oh, I wow. I actively dislike it, but man, it's it's very, very borderline, and it does not belong here. That's the Old does stance. not belong here line. Yes. It's just below the Lady Eve, um, for those of you. 39 Steps. That one's at... Oh, maybe I was a little bit uncharitable with this one. No, I don't know. Okay. It's at 102. Mm. It's above the cameraman at 103 and just below Jabberwocky at 101. It's that is pretty uncharitable. I mean, you know, it's above the other Hitchcock... Hitchcocks. The other Hitchcocks uh-huh. by like five, I think, is the is the nearest, the nearest one. Mm-hmm. It's just above the inoffensive line, and... I I imagine that at one point the illustrious Albert will or Alfred wait Alfred Alfred, Alfred Hitchcock that is you know that's, it's close enough whatever yeah. that's who directed uh, Charade it was Albert Hitchcock it was speaking of Charade that one's also maybe a little bit low it's at 67 Ooh. Uh, it's just above Samurai 3 68 and just below Blood Simple at 66 but just below Cohen Brothers territory is, below is not a bad Samurai place to be. is pretty tough for me. Samurai three, yeesh. That's a good one. I like no, that it's one. not. <laughs> yeah, it is. No, <laughs> no, you're mistaken. It is. Okay, so being John Malkovich is at fifty-two, just cruising above the solo line comfortably, just mm. above the unbearable lightness at being at fifty-three, and wages mm. of fear at fifty-one. That's a good mm. stretch. That's an interesting stretch. Yeah, there are no okay. bad stretches above the solo. line. It's so not not an all time popcorn classic for me, but no, it's it's good. It's solid. It's got a lot of the elements that I come to like about um, about many of those involved in its creation, without necessarily being any of their best work. John Malkovich's best work, of course, Con Air. And with that, uh, let's announce next week's picks, Sean. We got a very interesting talking about best work here. We We're slutting it up next week. Yeah, we're next, getting sucked. We're getting reamed out. We're getting next week. Out, we're, we're talking about uh, <laughs> Sean. What, next wrong? week we're talking about uh, two movies about um, 
sexual perversion. I'm I, I'll say we got Peeping Tom uh, coming up in the, the the watch order and the Night Porter. Now I'm really interested in Peeping Tom uh, because uh, it's one of those movies that a lot of people talk about in terms of the history of horror movies, and I'm really interested in talking and diving a little bit into that. And uh, the Night Porter uh, looks unpleasant to watch. You think? I don't know. I think it looks pretty cool. Yeah, loving the Nazis forcing. Uh, it seems a little too sallowish for me. Well, but, but because of that, we decided to choose two movies with, um, I, I wouldn't say sexual perversion, but sexual guilt at their 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 cores. Sexuality, we could even say. Sure. In general. Let's keep we it have, nice and general. For my pick this week, I'm going with another one of your boys, Haneke, Michael Haneke's the piano teacher. I'm really uh, wanting to watch this one for a while. And uh, I, I just, you know what? I just wanted to, I thought sexy movies and what did I think is sexier than a piano teacher? What a unexamined sexuality there. A lot of movie repressed. And I'm sure we're going to be talking a lot about it. Oh, are uh, you talking about me or the piano teacher? Because uh, so my, my, ta- my piano teacher is not- <laughs> Well, oh wow classic yeah. one of my all-time uh, maybe not one of my all-time favorite it's up there one of my favorite movies and i haven't seen it so we're gonna fill in that gap it's a great movie for me as someone who is not sure if he wants to go to graduate school or uh what he wants to do with his life in general you and uh, reference? trying to uh not put that on other people uh, especially females is a challenge. Where, Wait, hold on. Can I interrupt you? Yeah, go for it. Can I do a reference? You you, you just said, can't I, can I interrupt you very politely? Can so. I do a reference? Go, yes, go! Well, here's to you, Mrs. Robinson. Simon and Garfunkel yourself. <laughs> thank you all. And with that... Thank you all for listening. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, check out uh, us at anthonyreviews.com. This is an Anthony Reviews podcast. I got a new article up about uh, how what a middle America wants from uh, movies. Um, it's really interesting because it tends to be conservatives. Um, so definitely check that out at anthonyreviews.com. You can check us out on TikTok, Instagram, anywhere you get your social media. We're probably there as well, except Facebook. We don't join Facebook. We don't like... We're in uh, Facebook jail. We, more like Zuckbook, am I right? Yep. And What? <laughs> How does that fucking make any sense to say? And as always... Can I do a reference? Oh, sure. Yeah, you can do a reference. Here's to you, Mrs. Robinson. Well, we're ending on one of those. <laughs> one of those two things is going to be the last thing in the episode. Oh, oh, that's what you were saying. Oh, I'm sorry, because I still have to do my wrap-up. Okay, cut this out. Cut this yeah, out. Yeah, cut that out. You could do the wrap-up and then, you know, and then figure it out do the, in the end. Do exactly what we just did. <laughs>